Well, now we're going to turn to this morning's scripture reading. Today's scripture reading comes from the New Testament book of Hebrews. Open your heart, listen for God's voice as Sue Pratt shares with us this reading from the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Good morning. The scripture today comes from Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this week we continue our Faith at the Movies at Home sermon series with a movie called McFarland USA. McFarland USA stars Kevin Costner as Coach Jim White, the coach of a small-town high school cross-country team. This movie was recommended for us by Grace Pratt, and I'm going to ask Grace if she would say a few words about why she feels a connection to this particular film. This movie was released in 2015. At the time, my family and I decided that it would be a great movie to go see because based on the trailers and the previews, it seemed very upbeat and positive, and we thought that we'd really enjoy it. Um, at the time, I was just turning 13. I just ran track for the very first time. Um, I can relate to the runners of the movie because I understood the pain that they felt after each practice and after each race. Just the cramps and the blisters on the feet all relate to me when I ran track. I can also remember having very encouraging track coaches and even just my coaches for soccer. They all just encouraged me to do my best. And this reminds me of Coach White, how he encouraged all of his runners to do their best. I have to say, I am so grateful to Grace for choosing this movie for us and for this sermon series. I had never seen this movie, and there's a good chance that I never would have watched this movie if not for Grace's recommendation. And that would have been a shame because I really enjoyed this movie. I'm a sucker for a feel-good sports movie. I, I loved the Mighty Ducks and Hoosiers and the Bad News Bears and all of those sports movies that paved the way for a movie like McFarland USA. I love a feel-good sports movie. And as I was watching the movie, I, I kept thinking that there were two things that set this movie, McFarland USA, apart from other sports movies that I've seen. You know, one of the things that sets this movie apart from other sports movies is that McFarland USA is inspired by a true story. Now, the movie begins with Jim White moving to McFarland, California. Uh, Jim White is a high school football coach and a high school teacher, and he's made some decisions in life that have left him without very many options. He's had to take a job at the only high school that would still hire him, a, a high school in a small California town in a community that is so under-resourced that they are forced to take any teacher they can't afford to choose to be picky about which teachers they hire. There really was a, a coach, Jim White, and he really did coach the cross-country team at McFarland, California's high school. And many of the events that we see depicted in the movie are inspired by moments that really did happen in real life. I love a good sports movie that's based on, inspired by a true story. Now, the other thing that sets McFarland USA apart from other sports movies 
is that McFarland USA is as much about the experience of the Latino community in America as it is about sports. Now, McFarland, California is a community that is mainly made up of people of Mexican-American origin. And most of the students in the, the high school where Jim White ends up teaching are from families where, where almost everyone is engaged in the work of picking. And the people in McFarland call themselves pickers. They're the people who pick the produce that feeds America. They pick potatoes. They pick cabbages. They pick almonds. They pick all sorts of crops. Every morning at 4.30 in the morning, the high school students in Jim White's high school roll out of bed. And then they hit the ground running. They run out to the fields and they do a couple hours of picking. And then when it's time for school, they grab their backpacks and they run. They run to school. And then when school is over, they grab their backpacks again and they run back out to the fields and they pick and they pick for hours and hours until the sun goes down, at which point they run home for supper. Now all of that hard labor, all of that literally back-breaking work and running around because they don't have access to cars has made, has made some of the students at the McFarland High School tough. It's given them stamina and endurance. And one day as he's driving around town, he notices these young high school students running and running mile after mile between the fields and the school without ever seeming to break stride, without ever seeming to get tired. And suddenly he has an epiphany. He realizes that even though the McFarland School is probably not ever going to put together a winning football team, they have the makings of a great cross-country team. And so he assembles a team, he recruits some students, and then even though he's never coached track or, or cross-country before, Coach White begins training these young runners for their first meet. At the very first meet, these McFarland students, the students on the cross-country team, are clearly intimidated by their competition. And when they show up at their first cross-country meet, they line up at the starting line and they look to either side of them and they see these tall, blonde athletes, these students who go to private schools and train in state-of-the-art facilities and golf on the weekends. And they wonder if they're going to be able to hang with these more seasoned athletes. But when the starting gun goes off, they start running. And to everyone's surprise, not only do they keep up with these other more experienced runners, but they actually pull into the lead. It looks like, like McFarland might pull off a miracle victory at their very first cross-country meet until, until they come to the hill. On this particular cross-country course, just before the finish line, there is a long, steep climb, a long, steep hill that the athletes have to run up. And these McFarland students have never run on hills before. McFarland is completely flat. All of these athletes can run and run and run all day long, but they have never, have never run uphill. And so as they reach that final hill, they, they suddenly find that they don't know how to run. They don't have the technique to make it up that last climb, and so they fade and they fall back, and the other teams pass them, and they end up finishing in last place at their very first meet. After the race, the students are discouraged and Coach White does some thinking and he decides that they are never going to get beat on the hills again. He realizes that if they're going to be a competitive team, they need to train running up hills. And so later that week, Coach White takes his, his team, he takes his athletes to the closest thing McFarland has to hills. 
He takes them to a great big giant flat lot that's filled with mounds and great big mountains of almond husks covered in great big plastic tarpaulins. And then he says to his team, we are going to run up these mounds and we're going to run down. And we're going to run up and we're going to run down and we're going to run up and down and up and down until we get to the point where not only do we know that we can run uphill, but we're going to laugh and smile whenever we see a hill because we know, we know that we can do it. We know that this is where we're going to pass our competitors. We know that hills are where we are going to win the race. And so they continue training and they run up and they run down and they run up and they run down and up and down until eventually the team improves and they actually start winning some races. They start winning some meets and probably they end up in a position where they could potentially qualify for the California State Cross Country Finals. The only problem is that the qualifying meet takes place on a course that's on the side of a mountain that last cross-country course that they have to traverse before they make it to the state finals is just one long uphill climb. And there's a fun moment, there's a fun scene in the movie where Coach White is driving the bus and they start pulling up to the place where they're going to begin that, that race to qualify for the state finals and the athletes, the students, look out the windows and they see the mountain that they're driving towards and their eyes get big and they get nervous and they just keep staring at that mountain. They stare at the mountain as they're getting off the bus. They stare at the mountain as they're stretching and warming up. Coach White sees them staring at the mountain. He can tell that they are intimidated by that mountain. He can see that they are in need of a pep talk. And so he gathers his team together and he gives them a pep talk that ends up sounding an awful lot like this morning's scripture reading from the book of Hebrews. In this morning's scripture reading, just a moment ago, Sue Pratt shared with us a passage from the New Testament letter to the Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is one of the most mysterious books in all of the Bible. Nobody knows who wrote this letter to the Hebrews. For many centuries, the, the church believed that this letter was written by the Apostle Paul, but but now hardly any scholars believe that this letter was written by Paul. It sounds like Paul in some ways. It, it has Paul's teachings and Paul's ideas in it, but, but it just doesn't sound like Paul's voice. And so now many scholars believe that this letter, this book in the New Testament was written by somebody who knew Paul, somebody who learned from Paul, but somebody who was not Paul, maybe someone who was a friend of Paul's. In fact, today, many scholars believe that this letter was written by a friend of Paul's named Priscilla. Now we know quite a bit about this person, Priscilla, this woman who we meet in the New Testament. And we know that, that Priscilla was Jewish and she was married to a Jewish man named Aquila. And we know that Priscilla and Aquila lived in, in the city of Rome until one day suddenly a wave of persecution swept through the city of Rome. The Roman emperor decided to drive all of the Jews out of the city of Rome. And so Priscilla and Aquila were, were forced to move. They moved to the city of Corinth in Greece. And there in the city of Corinth, they created a new life for themselves. They became tent makers. There was plenty of work for tent makers in the city of Corinth. And the city of Corinth at that time would have been filled with refugees, people, people like Aquila and Priscilla who had been driven out of the city of Rome, people who had fled Italy because it didn't feel safe anymore. And many of these refugees, just like refugees today, 
would have been living in tents in a field somewhere. And there was another reason that there was always good work for tent makers in the city of Corinth. Every two years, the city of Corinth was host to a great big sporting event called the Isthmian Games. In the ancient world, the Isthmian Games were second only to the Olympic Games in importance and prominence. Every other year, athletes traveled to the city of Corinth to race against each other, to engage in boxing and wrestling competitions. And every year, thousands and thousands of people traveled to the city of Corinth to watch all of these festivities and all of these competitions. And many, maybe most of the people who came as spectators to the games, chose to camp out right next to the stadium instead of making the long trek between the stadium and the sporting fields and the hotels that there were in the city. And so every other year, tent makers in Corinth would have been busy making new tents and patching up people's old tents. And Priscilla and her husband made a good life for themselves there in the city of Corinth as, as tent makers. And then after they'd been there for a year or two, they met this man. They met this man named Paul, this man who was also a wandering tent maker. And Paul had come to Corinth to make tents, but he'd also come for another reason. Paul came to Corinth to share with people the good news of God's love in Jesus. And Paul and Aquila and Priscilla became good friends. And Priscilla and her husband actually invited Paul to come and live with them, so he stayed with them as a house guest. And each night after supper, Paul would teach them about Jesus. He would share and speak the gospel with them until Priscilla and her husband also became teachers of the Christian faith, servants of the church. Now, Paul stayed with them for a season and they became good friends. And then Paul went along. He went on his way. He went to start churches and share the good news of God's love in other communities. But even after he left, Paul and Priscilla and Aquila kept in touch. They wrote letters to each other for years and years and years after Paul left the city of Corinth. Well, then one day Priscilla and her husband got some difficult news. Another persecution had broken out in the city of Rome. Many Christians, many followers of Jesus had been killed, had lost their lives getting swept up in this persecution, including their dear friend Paul. At that moment, Priscilla and her husband would have been heartbroken for the Christians in the city of Rome. And they still had many friends in that city, in the Jewish community and in the Christian community. They would have been afraid for their friends. They would have been worried for their friends. They would have been sad for all of those who had lost their lives and the people who loved them. And they would have wanted to reach out and comfort and encourage their friends who were still in danger in the city of Rome. And maybe this is the moment when Priscilla sat down and wrote a letter to the Hebrews, the Hebrew Christians in the city of Rome. Now, the, the letter, this New Testament letter to the Hebrews, reads like a pep talk, especially chapters 11 and 12. In chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, the author, let's just say Priscilla. Priscilla writes to the Hebrews in the city of Rome, the Hebrew Christians. She says, I know this is a difficult moment. I know that we're experiencing a lot of pain and fear right now, she said. And the best thing we can do in a moment like this is not to focus on the things we can see, but to have faith in the things that we can't see. 
The best thing we can do, she says, in a moment like this is to remember who we are and where we come from. She says, we come from a long line of people who overcame every obstacle by faith. We are part of a great story, she says. And then she begins to tell the story of all the believers who came before. All of the believers who have been part of that great story through the ages. She says, remember Noah, who by faith built an ark and overcame a great flood. Remember Abraham, she says, who by faith embarked upon a great adventure and became the father of a mighty nation. Remember Moses, she says, who by faith, by his faith and by the faith of his parents, was saved from Pharaoh and led his people to freedom. Remember the faith that the Israelites had as they walked through the waters that God parted to save them. Remember the faith that caused them to march around the walls of Jericho until those walls came tumbling down. Remember the faith of Rahab who was saved even as her city fell. Remember that you come from a long line of people who by faith have brought down kingdoms, have put out fires, have even raised the dead. And then as she begins chapter 12, Priscilla may be thinking about her friend Paul, who so loved to go to the stadium and watch the races and to watch the athletes compete against each other in the Isthmian Games. In chapter 12, Priscilla writes this, Therefore, she says, since we are part of such a great story, since we are descended from so many people who climbed so many hills, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking not at the mountain, but at Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, Jesus in whose footsteps we follow. Look, look towards Jesus, she says, not at the mountain. This speech that we find in the book of Hebrews sounds so very similar to the words that Coach White shares with his team as they stand there, ready to race at the bottom of that mountain. As they're standing at the bottom of that mountain, Coach White gathers his team for a pep talk, and I'm going to let Grace share with you what happens next. I asked Grace, which was your favorite moment in this movie? Which to you is the most moving, the most meaningful moment? And she mentioned this moment when Coach White gives his team this pep talk. I'm going to let her tell the story of what happens next in the movie. One thing from the movie that really stood out to me was when the team really struggled on the hills. The coach realized after the first race that the hills caused the team to lose. They had never practiced running hills before, so when they had to come across them in the first race, it ruined their momentum and caused the team to fall behind. Coach White realized they needed to train differently in order to overcome the hills on the course. He said, quit staring at the hills as they aren't going anywhere. This reminds me of my faith journey. In the past, I have reached hills in life that have caused me to slow down or stumble on my journey with God. The hills that force you to catch your breath, so to speak. When you look to God in frustration, wondering why is life so difficult and uneasy, God is sort of like Coach White. He helps us to overcome the hills or hardships on our journey. God is always with us and shows us that hills can be overcome. If we stare at them, they get bigger and bigger. If we work to overcome them, with God's help, they shrink away. Once we overcome one hill on the path, we are stronger for the next one. When we find ourselves at the bottom of a great mountain, 
when we feel small and overwhelmed and intimidated, we remember where we came from. We remember who we are. We remember all of the hills and mountains that God has already overcome. And then we run with perseverance the race that has been set before us. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for the privilege of being part of this great story. It is so easy to feel small and overwhelmed and intimidated. God, there are so many moments when we, when we feel overmatched by the challenges and obstacles before us. God, we wonder how will we ever eradicate white supremacy? How will we ever overcome poverty and injustice? How will we ever heal the wounds that have been left by anger and division? God, there are moments when the mountains seem so high that we're not sure we have in ourselves even the courage to take the very first step. God, in those moments, as we look up at the mountain, we pray that you would fill us with faith in things we cannot see. God, help us to remember who we are and whose we are. Help us to remember where we came from and the saints who came before us. And then, God, give us the courage, the courage to run the race. In Jesus we pray. Amen.